right, time to discuss markets then. And today I am joined by Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBB, as well as Barry Wood, who's RTHK's International Economics Correspondent. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to have you with us today. Very good morning. Good morning, morning <laughs> All right, I'm going to start off uh, with you, Carlos. We've got uh, the Hong Kong GDP numbers that are going to be coming out uh, later in the day today. Uh, you know, the, the trend's been showing that the city is uh, becoming resilient once again. We are seeing, uh, you know, stronger numbers come through. The consensus is expecting that we'd see growth of 4.7% uh, for this quarter, year on year. What do you think would be the drivers? How is, you know, domestic consumption faring? How has been the overseas demand as well? Yes, well, we, we have seen our performance, in fact, in Hong Kong GDP numbers over the past few quarters. Um, but as always, the devil is in the details. So we think there are three factors that are going to contribute towards this um, possibly above consensus GDP print for the fourth quarter. The first one is, uh, as you've mentioned, res resilient domestic consumption. We've seen a lot of cross-border travel and a lot of um, also local consumption throughout the, um, the Christmas and the, and the commercial season in the fourth quarter. Um, and so we are looking at retail sales averaging over 10% in the fourth quarter. That's going to translate into better growth. Um, but we've also seen a recovery in external demand. So exports are going to be supportive. Um, they are look, looking around 7% for the fourth quarter, and that's breaking an 18-month uh, contraction for Hong Kong exports. So we think that this is going to be one of the factors. And of course, there's a strong base effect. Remember that the GDP contracted by minus 4.5% during the same period last year. So that's going to help to artificially make the numbers uh, look stronger. On average, we, mean, we think that that means Hong Kong GDP will be around 3.3% for 2023, um, which is decidedly better than the negative GDP print of 2022. Um, but we shouldn't take this for granted as we will face um, some negative base effects in 2024. So we are going to look at a deceleration in 2024 um, to towards 2.5%. Uh, um, consumption is not going to be as resilient for, you know, for in the coming quarters. Um, exports possibly um, a tailwind in the first half, but not in the second half. Um, and so we are all waiting for um, the housing sector stabilization in the second half and to sort of pick up uh, some of the slack from retail sales and, and exports. Right. Barry, uh, Carlos pointed out some of uh, you know the headwinds that we could be f facing in the year ahead on con the consumption side. Uh, the other concern also is on the business sentiment, uh, really. We had uh, the Article 23 proposal announced yesterday. Um, you know, a lot of commentary that's come in uh, domestically says that uh, they're looking forward to the proposal, but it will have a, a strong and a rather significant impact on how business shapes up in the city in the future. Well, I suppose that's true. Mm. The problem is that um, investors are skeptical about China and by implication, they're skeptical about Hong Kong. And until there's some recovery in the housing market, until there's some recovery in the equity markets in both locales, I think that um, interest from U.S. investors will be slack. Right. Uh, you know, I want to, since we mentioned uh, mainland uh, and the Chinese markets as well, uh, 
the Evergrande liquidation order that was ordered by the Hong Kong courts is also being watched rather closely uh, in the business community, uh, both in Hong Kong as well as overseas, because this also has implications on how an order that's been uh, given in Hong Kong could potentially be applied in mainland China, because Evergrande, of course, is at one point was the biggest uh, real estate uh, company in mainland China. Most of its assets continue to lie there. Carlos, what's your sense on what this and how this could play out, uh, you know, in terms of enforcement of course, court orders and what it means uh, on the business sentiment and uh, more, you know, money flowing into the city? Mm, well, Evergrande is listed in Hong Kong, hence mm-hmm. the court does have jurisdiction over that decision. Um, the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region and the central government do have um, bilateral agreements on liquidation, so theoretically, um, it would be applicable to mainland China. However, you know, given the circumstances, we are looking at uh, 300 billion US dollar in liabilities, um, 90% of which are in mainland China. Um, I think it's highly unlikely that um, they will be able to execute uh, the liquidation order. Um, in fact, I think the central government will continue to pursue um, its plan for the restructuring of the real estate sector and um, this gets in the way, but um, I don't think they will, they will execute it. We, we are, the first step is to deliver homes to Chinese people and making sure that the developers have enough uh, working capital to finish the projects and deliver them. Um, we are starting to see some degree of liberalization in tier one cities to inject uh, some fresh air into those uh, markets so that they don't have to worry about Shenzhen, Shanghai, Beijing and those cities. That will free up the remaining policy space for them to concentrate on the restructuring process for developers that have exposure to third um, and to some extent um, weaker second tier cities and that includes Evergrande and also Country Garden. Most of their exposures are to those second and third tier cities. Um, So they are following this uh, very incremental approach to dealing with a restructuring. Mm. Of course the decision from Hong Kong Sort of gets in the way, maybe gets ahead of uh, the, 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 this, this, this plan, um, and so potentially could derail or delay the process. Um, but but it, it, in my opinion, it's very unlikely that they will deviate from the, the chosen path uh, to implement this decision. Right. And uh, talking about property, I want to also have a quick word on Hong Kong property prices, uh, Barry. Uh, property rates in the city are at the lowest since 2017. At the same time, it's still extremely unaffordable, despite the oh. correction. Uh, you yes. know, home ownership uh, remains out of reach for so many, and there's so much ask for public housing. Um, what's your sense on well, how it Well, again, does? I'm looking at this from a very long distance mm-hmm. away. But clearly, Hong Kong property prices are still too high. So if there's going to be uh, some equivalence with the mainland, Hong Kong property prices are going to have to decline further. I agree with what uh, Carlos has said about Evergrande. Uh, This is indeed the world's biggest property company just five years ago. But it's a controlled implosion. And that's a good thing because I don't think foreign investors are going to be deeply affected. So if this continues, I mean, after all, this is a three-year-long sort of downward tilt for Evergrande. We have to see if it has any positive effect on consumer confidence and whether people, as you just said, Meta, people in Hong Kong, but also particularly in the mainland who invested in these properties yet to be built, 
are going to get their money's worth out of their investment. So we'll be watching that, but I think uh, this is a very big deal, and I like what you say, and also Carlos, about this is a real test for how the legal system in Hong Kong relates to the legal system on the mainland. Right. And not just in Hong Kong, uh, in China, property is such a touchy topic all over the world, isn't it? Uh, you know, we just saw a commentary coming in from Elizabeth Warren yesterday. Now, she's calling on the Fed to, uh, ra- you know, cut rates. She's saying that the Fed is fueling affordability crisis. But, you know, and uh, the, the current interest rates are making mortgages unreasonable for those in the U.S. But really, wouldn't a rate cut also, in turn, lead to cheaper mortgages, creating more demand and hence driving up real estate prices in the U.S., Barry. Yes, yes. And I think um, I'm a skeptic of Senator Warren. I think that her argument is uh, fallacious. And I think that um, the amazing thing is we have had this soft landing occur in the last few months in the States is that the residential property market has held up So there's been no crisis thus far. There have been nothing to compare with what happened in 2007, 2008. So that's really good news. In other words, the economy here seems to be able to absorb mortgage interest rates in the 7 to 8% range without a catastrophe. So we'll see. Yes, everything you said, Meta, is right. If indeed you had lower rates, I think you might have the danger of an overheating. And so far, the inflation has been on a downtrend that has been exceedingly good. Right. Uh, Carlos, you want to weigh in on that? And also, what are you expecting from uh, you know the latest two-day FOMC meet? We are going to hear in Asia from the results of that meeting by tomorrow. Do you think we could get more clarity on the pace of rate cuts? Yes, yeah, so I, I think I agree with Barry. The, there's one caveat, though. Um, most of the mortgages in the U.S. are based on fixed rates. Um, so the household sector has been spared the brunt of the impact of this unprecedented pace of rate hikes in the U.S. You're right. <laughs> Whereas in Hong Kong, it's not the case. Um, so we, we are feeling uh, a little bit, the squeeze a little bit more over here. Um, however, you do see pockets of, of stress uh, across commercial real estate in the U.S., Um, and the Fed is, uh, you know, shadow trailing real rates. Of course, the congressional mandate is on inflation and the employment, but they have been talking more and more about real rates. And so they could use that um, as a window of opportunity to try to lower interest rates somewhat before the election. Highly unlikely that they will do a lot during the election or before and after the election. Um, but if we see inflation coming down, real rates going up, that could win, open a window of opportunity for them to do something around uh, May or June. Um, so we are monitoring the language coming out of the decision this week very closely. Of course, nobody is pricing in any moves. Um, there's a 98% chance, I think, that the FOMC remains on hold, uh, according to futures markets. So we, we are sort of in that camp as well. Um, but we are monitoring the developments on the real rate front. Um, that is very positive for Hong Kong because we are hoping to see a floor on housing prices in the second half if the Fed cuts rates. All right. Uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us this morning. As always, it was a great chat. But uh, 